Thanks for taking the time to listen to this NHS Employers podcast. For all the latest NHS HR workforce information, visit www.nhsemployers.org. Hello, my name is Helen Bogan and I'm the Programme Lead for Health and Wellbeing at NHS Employers. In this podcast, we'll be exploring the issue of why mental health is everyone's business. I'm currently at the NHS Confederation's Annual Conference 2018, where it's clear to see that the issue of mental health has been raised in the agenda more than ever. I think there is an increasing pressure for us and increasing importance for all of us to think about uh, the mental wellbeing of all our staff. And fresh from speaking in one of those plenary sessions, Paul Farmer, Chief Executive from Mind, is joining me to talk about ways in which we can improve staff health and wellbeing in the workplace and how we can get buy-in from board level to put this at the top of the agenda. Thanks for joining me, Paul. Firstly, just for a bit of context, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your background? Uh, I've been Chief Executive at Mind for uh, 12 years now and I have a career in mental health and emotional health charities. So... Uh, it's a real personal passion of mine, this issue, but it's also something where we've been very lucky to see significant progress being made in terms of the way that people are beginning to talk about it as an issue. I just wanted to ask you how you encourage staff to look at their own mental health and wellbeing. Well, I think the starting point here has to be the way in which we all think about our own mental health. And, you know, when we were at school, we probably all got messages about how to look after our physical health, you know, how many donuts we could eat, how many glasses of wine we should or shouldn't be drinking, etc., etc. But we still don't really get those messages. We never got those messages at school. So the workplace is the next best place for us to talk about mental health. Um, and so the starting point is for us to all think about how are we today. So uh, today I'm thriving because I've come up to the Confed Conference and we've had a very good session. Uh, But on other days I might be struggling, which may mean something to do with work, that's it's not going that well. It may equally be I've got a bit of problem at at home with my children or with my parents. um, Or or it may be I'm a bit worried about money, whatever it might be. That might make me struggle. Um, And then uh, perhaps, you know, for one in four of us in any given year, that struggling becomes a mental health problem where we need to seek help for our mental health. And so I suppose the first thing that we can all do is think about where we are in that, in that very easy, those very easy three spaces uh, today. And if we think about that today, we can also think about what do we need to do to help us go move from maybe struggling to thriving. So when talking about mental health in the workplace, you've previously said that the most crucial thing is leadership. Despite what we might believe, senior leaders are not immune to stress and mental health problems at work, and only by acknowledging that can we set the best example. So what can organisational leaders do to start creating a better mentally healthy workplace? So I think the first thing that they can do is give permission to people to talk. And sometimes that's because leaders themselves have their own experiences of mental health problems, or they might have a member of their family who has, uh, and that's often, that we know that often makes a really big uh, commitment sends a big message into organisations about the permission to talk about the issue. The second thing that, that leaders can do is to make this a boardroom issue. So uh, it doesn't have to be uh, one of those tick box things. It needs to be something that where the board is asking itself the question, what are we doing to look after the mental health of our people? And then the third thing that leaders can do is think about the culture and the contribution that they make to that culture inside the organisation. There are far too many leaders, and you know, I used to be like this, uh, who send emails to their people at 11 o'clock at night. 
And that sends completely the wrong message. So you need to think carefully about how you're communicating with your people. And you have to set that as, a, as, as an example. So for example, the, the chief executive of Unilever, one of the biggest companies in the world, makes a point of going to the gym in his office, at, uh, in their offices at uh, around about 11 o'clock in the morning. And he makes a point of making sure that people can see him do that because he believes that, social, that physical activity is good for his productivity, he believes it's good for his mental health, but he also believes that he needs to set an example that sends a message that says that's okay. If you were to be given the job of a health and wellbeing lead in an NHS trust, and you were asked to look at staff mental health, including prevention and support, what do you think you would do first? Well, uh, I needed to go and listen to people. Because I think until you listen to people in your organisation and not talk to them, listen to them, you need to understand, you can only understand what are the particular uh, cultures and pressures that exist within your organisation. And every single organisation, even uh, different organisations in the NHS that may look like they're quite similar, will have their own different pressures. So what's going on inside the organisation? Secondly, uh, we, we, we are awash with data inside the NHS. We need to have a look at some of the data. So what, is, what do we know about um, uh, staff absence? Um, what do we know about uh, staff presenteeism when people are coming in and they're not well? And what do we also, what do we know about staff engagement? And those indicators can give us a good sense about how our, what our people think are thinking about our organisation. And we might, I might particularly want to look at those parts of an organisation that maybe have particularly poor records in, those, in all of those areas. Is there something about the leadership in those particular units that's telling us maybe there's something very badly going wrong? So are there areas where you know, quite rapid action is needed because maybe there's a bullying culture inside that team? Then I think you need to construct a plan. Uh, and that plan needs to be owned by people from top to bottom. But that plan also needs to have a, uh, a recognition about, what, about a long-term commitment to thinking about the, the well-being of your staff. Um, I've quite often talked about uh, the perils of thinking about this as being simply about fruit and pilates. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, it really helps, but uh, it's not enough. So you just talked about making a plan, which links into my next question. So the new NHS Health and Wellbeing Framework, which has been developed by NHS England, working with ourselves, NHS employers, NHS Improvement and 12 trusts, um, has a set section in it dedicated to mental health. It includes prevention and self-management as well as psychological interventions. Can you talk a little bit more about the toolkit? When we published Thriving at Work, which was the review that the Prime Minister commissioned uh, of myself and Lord Dennis Stevenson, um, the Prime Minister in receiving that report made a very clear commitment that she would take on our recommendations for both the civil service and the NHS because as an employer of uh, millions of people in the public sector, the government has to show uh, lead by example. And so she said it's the civil service and the NHS. Um, and so our thriving at work recommendations have essentially been translated into the, uh, the framework that, that you've described. And that framework actually puts mental health into a broader context of mental and physical health so that organisations can think about this in a wider health and wellbeing context of your staff. Um, but it also essentially uh, turns the uh, recommendations, the core standards that we set out in Thriving at Work into easy actions for any 
any NHS organisation to take. And those, you know, these standards are very simple, so there are things like having a clear mental health at work plan, uh, creating the opportunities for conversations about mental health, but then it also includes some slightly harder things like having the right working conditions, which you know is often a real uh, challenge for, for, for NHS organisations and indeed for many others. So the idea of the toolkit is to give uh, NHS organisations the ability to be able to construct their own health and wellbeing plan and it draws on some of some really interesting and great examples from other parts of the NHS. Now I think the next stage around this is actually to start auditing the quality of those plans uh, and have we got those plans, are they in place and are they, uh, are they any good? Um, but the first stage is to, make those, is to construct those plans at a local trust level. So, as you know, the workforce is our most important asset in the NHS. We need staff that are well at, and at work to deliver effective quality care for patients. What five tips could you give to help employees really thrive at work? Number one, uh, think about your mental health on a daily basis. How are you today? It sounds like a really obvious question, but how often do we actually say, ask ourselves that question? Number two, uh, think about having a conversation with somebody else about your mental health or maybe about their mental health. How often do we ask people, are you okay, and really not want to hear the answer? Number three, know what it is you need to improve your mental health and deploy one of those activities in any given day. So for me, it might be going for a run. For other people, it is doing yoga. For other people, it's, uh, it's, it's music or all kinds of different things that help people uh, improve their mental health. Fourth thing is if you think you're struggling, go and talk to somebody. Preferably uh, a mental health champion, if you have mental health champions inside your organisation, um, and or your manager, because your manager should have the training to be able to offer a sympathetic ear. The fifth one is, if your mental health is poor and you really do need to take time off work because of your mental health, say so. That's okay. It's not illegal. It's perfectly legal. It's perfectly appropriate. And organisations that are honest about their mental health uh, we'll see their mental health sickness absence in the first instance quite often increase because people are being more open about it and not simply saying, oh, I've got a bad back or, uh, you know, I need to look after the kids. Uh, so if we're being honest about it, then that will help change the culture as well. And finally, what do you think the future of mental wellness in the workplace looks like and what does it look like to you? Well, I do think we're at the, the foothills of this. Uh, I think we've, uh, we've suddenly realised as a society that there is this thing called mental health. And we've also suddenly realised that it's something that probably we all have. Uh, Organisations are not yet properly equipped to be able to cope with it. We, uh, we've seen, we see some really good examples of organisations that are at the forefront of good quality mental health support for their people. But on the whole, most organisations are not very well equipped to do it. So the first stage is to equip those organisations to be able to, to, to think about the mental health of their staff. So, you know, we're seeing more and more organisations taking the time to change pledge. We're seeing more and more organisations taking part in the Mind Workplace Wellbeing Index. Uh, and that's a good thing because it means that organisations are taking their responsibilities seriously. What we'll know in a few years time is what are the kind of interventions that really make a difference in different kinds of contexts. So if we were to tell uh, in a few years time, for example, what are the promotion interventions that make the most difference? 
what is the pathway that's going to help people back to work as quickly as possible? That will make a massive effect. That's fantastic, Paul. And uh, I just want to thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today. Um, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you very much, Helen. Thank you.